0: A copy of God's Word this morning to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, we will be beginning in verse 8 this morning. And There are several things in our day that I'm sure you would say the same as I'm about to say that kind of make many of us in the room realize that we're not as young as we used to be, Right? And talking to kids and the things they're going through and the things they're experiencing and, and just the, the, the shape and the, the picture of our day is much different than when I grew up. It's much different now than even when we got married and even when we had our first kid and one of the things that just makes me kind of, I don't know what to do with this honestly, I just kind of sit back and, and kind of shake my head and part of me thinks it's kind of neat, part of me goes, this is crazy is this whole idea of gender reveal or baby reveal, right? I don't know, I mean, for us, when we found out we were pregnant with Sydney, we called home and said, hey, guess what? And we told them, and that was it. I mean, we would tell some people here and there, and it just kind of word traveled. We didn't have any big show, any big hoopla. And then when we found out that we were having a girl, we called mom and dad and said, we're having a girl. And that was that was it, right? Well now you've got this this deal where it is a it's a production and I'm not condemning this. If you've done this or your family and you love this, this is fine. It's just odd to me. It's very odd. And so it's a big production just to announce. We go into these big deals just to announce that we're having a baby and it's all over social media and then the it's kinda I'm gonna one up you and you're gonna one up. I mean, we're just gonna see who can have the most outstanding amazing reveal of the sex with the baby and I, I just look and it's, it's interesting to me it's also humorous I don't know if you've ever seen all the reveal fails right we watched some of those I showed a few of those to my kids last night I was just thinking about this and you've got the ones where the guy they're gonna what kind of smoke is coming out of the four-wheeler and he takes off and it's blue smoke well everybody sees the blue smoke and then they see him flip the four-wheeler over right or you've got the one where they're pitching a ball and they're supposed to hit the ball and they hit it and it doesn't burst, right? It just goes and everybody's going, well, we don't know what's going to happen, right? Or the one where they pitch the ball and he hits it and drills his mom or somebody's sitting over there right in the forehead and she's covered in blue dust, right? And sitting there kind of going, well, we're having a boy. Or the volcano, have you seen the volcano where they pour some kind of solution in there, or whatever, and a volcano erupts, and the little girl's standing there, and it erupts pink. And she kind of looks up like, what does this mean? And Dad says, you're having a sister. And she goes, I don't want a sister. <laughs> and just starts screaming, you know. It's interesting days with these, all these reveals. Well, here's the deal. Is we look in Luke 2, and we see the greatest reveal of all time. Maybe the first reveal of all time. We're just slow and catching on. 2,000 years later, we're making a big to-do of it. But all of heaven made a big to-do of the coming of Jesus in Luke 2. And that's what we want to look at this morning. We want to look at the birth announcement of Christ. A birth announcement that was greatly anticipated. One that the text is going to tell us it was good news of great joy for all the people. A reveal, a birth announcement that changed the course of history. One that the angels proclaimed, one that the kings of the earth feared. One that changed my life and changed many of your lives as well. is the birth of Jesus, our Savior, the Christ, the Lord. I want to read about that this morning. So let's read Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 14 together. The gospel of Luke says this, and in the same region, Bethlehem, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news with whom he is pleased. I want to just walk through this text briefly, and we're going to look at three titles given to Christ, and we're going to ask three important questions about what is said by the angels here. As we do that, before we get to those titles, before we get to those questions, just a couple observations. One, we see here that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, and these shepherds are the ones that the angels revealed this message to. It was the great reveal was to shepherds. Now, I want to just tell you, shepherds are kind of should remind us that God comes and he makes himself known initially to the common people, but they are not just the low life of society as some people would make them out to be. How do we know that? Well, we know that because scripture from cover to cover actually speaks pretty highly of shepherds. It wasn't like everybody went around going, golly, those shepherds, they're just awful. They weren't nobility, but they weren't the low life of society. We know that Abraham, Moses, David, they were all shepherds at one point in their life, right? We certainly look up to them and esteem them. We know Psalm 23, right? The, the psalmist writes of, of the good shepherd, the, it's the shepherd's psalm, right? God's care for us. We know that in John 10, 11, that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And in 1 Peter 5, 4, we see that God is the chief shepherd. And then we hear the New Testament writers writing what? of My role as a pastor is what? To shepherd the people. So, so to be a shepherd isn't just to be the low life of society, but it is indeed a picture of the common person. That that Jesus' announcement of his birth, the, the angels of announcement of Jesus' birth, teaches us that that it is a message, the gospel is a message to all people. It's not reserved for the social elite. It's not just a message for the religious elite. It is a message of good news for all the people. And when the angels come, the next thing we read that we need to take note of is it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. So you can imagine, if you will, just for a moment, it says they're keeping watch over their flock by night. So darkness is everywhere. It is dark. It is like any other night. And then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears to them, right? So the angel of the Lord appears, and then it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. It's this picture of of darkness, a normal night, and then all of a sudden an angel bursts on the scene, and the glory of the Lord shines all around. Now, the shepherds know what this means. They're, they're, they're Jewish shepherds, they're keeping watch at night, and they've heard the stories of the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament. It, it was the, the indication that God was there, God was near. It was the Shekinah glory that appeared at Mount Sinai by a cloud in Exodus 16.10 and 24.17. You can read of it elsewhere in the scriptures. But, but what happens when the Shekinah glory is there? It is the glory of God, it is the presence of God, and here it is shining around them and so the shepherds know that this means that the majestic presence of God was here and that this was no longer a normal night this was no longer just any other day this was a miraculous fearful moment it was a moment in which they responded accordingly right it says that what they were filled with fear this is a consistent reaction we've already seen it in Luke 1 when the angel comes to Zechariah it says Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Or we read in Luke 1, 29 to 30, that when the angel comes to Mary, what does it say about her? It says she was greatly troubled, so much so that the angel's words are what? Do not fear. Do not fear. See, when when the, the messengers of the Lord come to us, As I think Bill said in the past, this is not little angels that are all cute and dainty. And we go, oh, look at that. It's an angel. That's that's not the response. The response we see here from the shepherds, the response we saw from Zechariah, the response we see from Mary is that they are struck with fear because they see these angelic beings coming as messengers from the Lord. But in each instance, what do they say? Do not fear. Do not fear. Why not fear? Because they bring a message of good news. They bring a message of hope. They bring a message of peace with them. And so I want us to take a look before we look at some questions about this message. I want us to look at three important titles that are given to Jesus. Three important titles. Look at verse 11. He says, the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord do you see the two the three titles here what are the three titles savior Christ and Lord right this is the only time in the new testament that these three titles are placed all in one statement all together Okay, this is a significant moment. This is a significant statement when he says, Listen, this is the good news. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, right, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is a significant moment. He says, Listen, this one coming, this one who is born, this one that brings good news of great joy to all the people is a Savior. It's the title in, Old, in the Old Testament that points to the God who delivers from enemy, from disease, from destruction, from death. And here, this one who is born is that Savior. He is the one who will deliver his people from enemies, from disease, from destruction, from death. Jesus is the great Deliverer. He is the Savior. The second one is that he is the Christ which simply means the the anointed one. It's it's the Messiah, the, the one whom the prophets had spoken of, the one whom hope was directed to, that they looked forward to. The saints of old looked forward in faith towards the coming of a Messiah, the coming of the Christ. And now this one born in Bethlehem is the Savior. He is the Christ. He's the one that Peter confesses to Jesus in Matthew 16, right? That you are the Christ. You are the Savior. This is not, as we've said before, this is not Jesus' last name. It is the title that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. This baby born in Bethlehem is the Messiah. But finally, he says what? He is a Savior, the Christ, the Lord. Right? He says he's Lord. He is the one who upon him will be bestowed the name above all names. You will certainly rec- recollect and come back to Yahweh in the Old Testament. That this baby who is born, who lies in a manger, whom they will go see, who he says will be wrapped in swaddling, swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, he is indeed the Lord of history that we just sang of. He is the one who rules over creation. He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who brings salvation. He is the one Who is the master? He is the one who, if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, that he is our master, we will be saved. He is the Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, I I want you just to think about for a moment the significance of that. that. That the people had looked forward in faith to a Savior. Ever since Genesis 3.15, the the people had looked forward. when, when, When God speaks that first message of hope, he gives that first glimmer of hope and starts opening the door ever so slightly that we can see that there's hope in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of punishment, in the midst of sin. There's hope. That there would come one who would bruise the head of the great adversary, who would kill the adversary, who would be victorious. So ever since that time, the people had looked forward to a Savior, had looked forward to a Messiah who would save. But a lot of the people thought this might be a great king or a victorious warrior or a a new and a mighty judge who ruled righteously. God didn't send any of those, did he? He didn't send a judge that morning. He didn't send a mighty king who would overthrow Roman rule that morning. He didn't send a mighty warrior who would lead the armies of Israel. No. He came himself. He sent his one and only son. So, so in their minds, you've got to imagine that in this moment in history, the idea that a Savior who was the anointed one had come was indeed good news. Right? That was good news. But the reality that this Savior, the Christ, was indeed the Lord, that brought unspeakable joy unspeakable joy that would be for all the people that God took on flesh to dwell among man to manifest his love and to save his people he was Jesus the Christ the Savior the Lord and he had been born so I want us to ask three questions about this three questions look at their statement in verse 10 the one born in verse 11 in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord Now, look at the statement about what this means, verse 10. It says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, let's ask three questions about this. What makes this good news? What is it about Jesus being born that is good news? I want, to, I want to read to you from J.C. Ryle. If you're, if you're not familiar with J.C. Ryle, you really should get familiar with him. He, he wrote the book Holiness. It's out there on the book nook and wrote extensively on the Gospels. I would encourage you to read J.C. Ryle. But I want you to hear how he describes this and why this is good news. He says this. He says, The spiritual darkness which had covered the earth for 4,000 years was about to be rolled away. The way to pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown open to all mankind. The head of Satan was about to be bruised. Liberty was about to be proclaimed to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. The mighty truth was about to be proclaimed that God could be just and yet, for Christ's sake, justify the ungodly. Salvation was no longer to be seen through types and figures, but openly and face to face. The knowledge of God was no longer to be confined to the Jews, but to be offered to the whole Gentile world. The days of heathenism were numbered. The first stone of God's kingdom was about to be set up. If this was not good tidings, there never were tidings that deserved the name. Ryle says, listen, if this is not good news, then there's never been news that was good indeed. This is good news because all of salvation history is culminating as Galatians 4.4 4 says that at just the right time, at the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, right? All creation has come, or all history has come to this point, it has come to this point in which we see that the Savior is born, and not just the Savior of the Jews, but our Savior was born. Our Savior was born on this day. Listen to Hebrews 7, to 25, says that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him or near to God through him. That's good news. That's good news for us, that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. He holds his priesthood permanently he still reigns he still intercedes for us and he is able to save to the uttermost he's able to save he's not being born going wow i hope i can do something good for my people no he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to god through him that's good news it's good news because we read first peter 2 24 that says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It's good news. It's good news because through him we die to sin and we live to righteousness. It's good news because this one born in Bethlehem is the one that Ephesians 1.7 speaks of when it says, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You see this babe in the manger would bring redemption, bring forgiveness. To you and I this is indeed good news. It's good news because Jesus is our savior. He is our deliverer. So matter no matter who you are, you need a savior. No matter who you are, you need to be delivered from sin. There's no one sitting in here today Who is too bad to be saved. But you need to know also. That there is no one sitting in here today. Who is so good. That they do not need to be saved. We all need a savior. We all need to be delivered from sin. And Jesus is that savior. It is indeed good news that he was born. So the second question is this. He said it was good news of what of great joy why did Jesus and his birth why did his birth bring great joy why why is it that we should look back to this and and have joy over what the text says 2,000 years later why would we find such great joy in this Because when the angels make this proclamation, when they make this announcement, they are making an announcement that is anchored in God's promises kept. They, They are looking back and saying God has kept every one of his promises. But it's not just looking back at the fact that he's kept promises. It's looking forward to the significance of what he would do. It's looking forward to this one coming is not just the one who is lying in a manger, but he is indeed the one who will be dying on the cross. So this announcement was absolutely about the birth of Christ. But it was in full awareness of what would happen. Of what purpose would be fulfilled. That Jesus came on a mission. Jesus came on a mission. The angels know this and they look forward. This has got an eschatological bent to it. It's looking to the end. When we see this proclamation of joy, we see that they are rejoicing because of what's going to be accomplished. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. Jesus came on a mission. What was that mission? In John or Mark 10:45, we see that that mission was to come and give his life as a ransom for many. In Mark 138, we see that Jesus came why? So that I can preach the good news, he says. I must go on to other towns because I came to preach. He came to declare the good news. In Matthew five seventeen, the purpose is that he came to fulfill the law. He did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it, that we might see what it truly is. In Luke 19, 10, we see that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. In John 10, 10, we see that he came to give life abundantly to all who would trust in him, all who would believe in him. Jesus came on a mission, and it brings great joy. It brings great joy because the people, the shepherds, would have known and read Psalm 98, 1 through 4 that we heard earlier. It brings great joy because it is the perfect fulfillment of every forward-looking time towards a Savior. Every statement of Scripture that says there will be a Savior, the salvation of the Lord, it speaks of the salvation of the Lord. We can't read of that anymore without thinking about Christ. Just listen to Psalm 98, 1 through 4. Listen to what we already we read. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises this is good news of great joy why because we can't read this and we think about well sing a new song because god has done marvelous things what marvelous things has he done he has sent jesus christ the savior the lord the messiah he has made known he has worked salvation he's made known his salvation how did he make known his salvation by sending christ to manifest his love That he might die as our propitiation. We talked about last week. This is great joy. He has remembered his steadfast love. He has remembered his faithfulness. And so our response is that we make a joyful noise to the Lord. We burst forth in joyous sound. And we sing praises because this is great joy in the coming of Christ. So why was it good news? Why did it bring great joy? And the third question. Why was it good news of great joy for all the people? Why was it for all the people? Listen to the work, the result of Christ's work in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. we read, "Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh, or made in the flesh by hands." By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Why is it good news to all people? Because Jesus came to bring salvation to all people. He is not just the Savior of the Jews. He is the Savior to all who believe in him. He's a savior who all who he is the savior for all who would repent and turn their life over to him in faith. We see in the coming of Christ that his work, his plan of salvation is universal in scope and eternal in duration. Now that is not saying that it is universalism that he comes and everybody's just saved because he comes. No, it is universal in scope in that anyone who repents and believes is saved. Anyone doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. If you repent and trust in Christ, you are saved. He is your Savior. He is your Deliverer. And it is eternal in duration because it does not wear out. All people for all time have the chance to be saved by faith in Christ. It was not just for that moment, but for every moment throughout history that salvation is found in Christ and in Christ alone. That is good news for all people. That's good news for us. In 2020, that we can be saved through Christ. Listen, May the 6th, 2019. Does anybody know the significance of that day? Do you know? The world was kind of a frenzy in many corners of the earth leading up to that day. There was a lot of chatter about what would happen, when would it happen. I'll give you a hint. It was a, a big reveal going on. When would it happen? On May the 6th, 2019, Prince Harry... And Megan, Duchess of Sussex, had a baby. Right? woo Do you remember that? Do you remember? All over the news. People were all over Facebook and Twitter talking about when would it be, when would it come, would it be a boy, would it be a girl? People were intrigued by this. Some people. If you're like me, you saw it and you're like, what in the world If you talking about? It? I looked at it and then it's like, oh, well, I don't really care. But you know what, she, the, the baby was born, a little boy, and they, they had an official announcement put out in the court declaring that the baby had been born. It was so important that the name wasn't announced for two more days. Guess what? For the majority of the people on the earth, it really made no difference. They, they had big news, but it really didn't make a lot of difference. But when Christ comes, when Christ was born, it made a difference. It didn't just make a difference that night. It made a difference around the globe for all eternity. All the people. It was good news, of great joy to all the people. And it would have been the same in that day. The announcement of a, a new Caesar being born, it could have been good or bad, right? But not this announcement. When Christ's birth announcement is made, it was wholly good. It was wholly good. The the announcement that that Prince Harry had had a baby, right? It signifies a new life that was born, a new royal life. And that life may last 80 years. It may not. But when the birth of Christ announced, the Savior is announced who would reign forever. His reign knows no end. There will not be a time in which he does not reign. There will not be a time in which he is not in power. See, the announcement is indeed Good news of great joy. And it is good news of great joy to all the people because it's not just an announcement to a particular kingdom, a particular locale. No, it is an announcement to all people, to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people on the earth. This is good news. This is good news. It's good news to them. It's good news to us. This brought great joy to my life. And some of you sitting in here today need to know that same joy. Some of you sitting in here today sit and you listen and you hear the word, you hear the message, you hear the gospel week in and week out, week in and week out. And you reject it. See, to not trust in Christ, to not turn to Christ, is to reject Christ. There is no middle ground. You either follow Christ or you don't. And you need to know that there is great joy in Christ. That it is indeed the message of peace. That you would know that Jesus is the Savior, the Lord, Messiah. Now, all of this this week, thinking about the joy that Christ brings, the message of joy, it led me just to think about A few things. It it reminded me that our lives as Christians. Should be lives filled with joy. They're they're lives in which joy should just exude from us. Just overflow from us. See the, the, the people we live around. The people of the world may have this kind of circumstantial joy. That ebbs and flows with the situations of life. But but we have everlasting joy in Christ that just simply flows from Him. It doesn't go up and down according to situations. It is just there. We just have joy in Christ, period. But the reality is sometimes I think we get robbed of joy. And so I just thought this week about why. Why, why, do, why are there times in which God's people seem to be robbed of this joy. When we look and we read this, that that one was born, that Christ came, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. One came that was good news, a great joy for all the people. Why might I read that and not be filled with joy? I, I think there's briefly just several joy thieves in our lives. Here's some, some thieves that steal away the joy in our life. Here's one of them is guilt over sin. We live and we just feel guilty over sin in our lives. Maybe it's that sin that you just constantly battle and you constantly struggle. And just when you think you've beaten it, you fall, you stumble. And you're just racked with guilt because you forget. That there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You forget that when we come before the Lord and we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But sometimes guilt just weighs us down and steals our joy. Sometimes it's discontentment, coveting. That we want everything that we don't have. That we, we sit and we've got food on our table and we've got clothes on our back. But yet we want different clothes and we want better food. We're just not content. We want more. We want what our neighbor has. Oh, if I just had that like him or that like her. If I could do that like him or do that like her. We are not content and when we are not content, when we covet after others and what they have. It just steals our joy away. Or what about a third thief? The constant comparison to others. Does that ever steal your joy? That you walk around and you're just constantly comparing yourself to other people? Well, if I could just do this like him. If I could just do that like her. If I could just make this grade like that person. If I could just get into that college like that person. If I could just, and you compare, I I just wish I looked like that. And, And we're constantly walking around comparing ourselves to others, and it just robs us of joy. It robs us of joy. Or what about this one, a fourth one? Just broken relationships. And we put so much stock in relationships, and when those relationships are broken, it just robs us of joy. And we're just racked with the sorrow and the grief of a relationship. And we get so focused on them that we just cease to remember the great joy that is in Christ. Or maybe a final thief. Idols of the heart. That we come to a point where we just worship stuff or worship things so much. If I have this, all life will be fine. And we give our heart over to that so much that it steals our joy because what we find out is that nothing truly satisfies. There's nothing in life outside of Jesus Christ that will not disappoint you. All things and all people will disappoint you at some point. And so when we set up people or things in place of idolatry, and we worship them and our whole life drives towards those things or those people, when they disappoint, and they will, our joy is gone. So I want to end by simply encouraging you. I want to encourage you in the Christian's causes for joy. The Christian's causes for joy. If you're a note taker, stop. I'll send these out. Don't try to get all these. I just want you to hear the Christian's causes for joy this morning. I hope this encourages you. Why do we have cause for joy? In Philippians 1, 4 through 5, our joy is caused because gospel partnership with other believers. As people come alongside of us and share the gospel and work beside of us to share and proclaim the good news, we find great joy in that. In Philippians 1, 18 to 20, we find that the confidence that God answers our prayers is cause for great joy. In Philippians 1, 15 to 18, we find that knowing the gospel is being proclaimed is cause for great joy. We find in Philippians 2, 1 through 2, that when we experience and see and witness Christ-centered unity among God's people, it is cause for great joy. That our unity is not based upon what we look like, how we act, where we're from, what we can do, what we can't do, but our unity and our joy is found in Christ-centered unity and oneness. In James 1, 2 through 4, we have joy and cause for joy because we know that God uses the bad things in our lives to produce good. In John 15, 1 through 11, Jesus talks to us about the joy of being in union with Him. That He is the vine, we are the branches, and there is great cause for joy in union with Christ. In John sixteen twenty two, we find cause for great joy in the risen, living Son of God. That we have great joy that we don't just come and we don't just talk about some philosophy, some theory, some guy who died and he lived a great life. But we come and we worship and we exult in and we praise one who lives and reigns. He is risen and that is cause for great joy. In Galatians 5.22 we find that we have cause for great joy because of the Spirit's work and fruit in our life. The very work of the Spirit is in our life brings joy. It is evidence of his presence in our life. In Psalm sixteen eleven, we find that cause for joy comes from living in the presence of God. That knowing that we are in the midst of God's people in his presence brings us joy. In Luke twenty four fifty two, we see cause for joy in the ascended King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who reigns supreme at the right hand of the Father, and that should give us great joy. In Philippians 3, 3, we find cause for joy in the fact that our confidence is in Christ and not in our flesh. It is in His finished work, not in our deeds. We can't earn anything. We trust in Him. And because our confidence is in Him and what He has done, what He has accomplished, that is cause for great joy. In Luke 10, 20, we find cause for great joy because our names are written in heaven. There are great things that happen, wonderful things that happen. And Jesus says, look... Those are great things, but I want you to remember that you rejoice not in those things, but you rejoice in the fact that your name is written in the book of life. Your name is written in heaven. Your inheritance is secure, and that is cause for great joy. In Psalm 21.1, Isaiah 61.10, uh, Psalm 98. The cause for great joy is the salvation from the Lord that we have been saved. The one who saves, the one who delivers has been sent to us, and his name is Jesus. And there is no other name on heaven by which you must be saved but through him. And that is cause for great joy because you know that and you have trusted him. And because of that, we know salvation from the Lord, and that is cause for great joy. In Psalm 511, we find great joy in God's protection that we don't fear man, we don't walk around anxious and worried, but we have cause for great joy in his great protection and his sovereign rule over all creation, in his providence and his work in our life, that he is our shield, he is our defender, he is our refuge, and that, my friend, is cause for great joy. In Psalm 16, 8 through 9, we find security that is in God, and that brings us great joy as well. In Acts 15, 3, we see great rejoicing cause for joy when we see others who are saved that come to Christ. It's not just joy that I am saved. I look out, and I hear reports of people coming to faith and coming to Christ and trusting Him from every people, nation, tribe, and tongue. And that is cause for great joy. And in Romans 5.11, we see that cause for great joy is the fact that we have been reconciled to God. Those who had once been separated, who had been alienated and, and apart, set apart are now drawn near. We have been reconciled. We have been healed. Our relationship with God has been restored. And that is cause for great joy. Listen, we need to be encouraged by that. We need to remember these truths and remember that as Christians we have cause for great joy. All of these things remind us that we should live with joy regardless of what happens. It is because of these truths that in Habakkuk we can read this. We can read that though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation because joy is not based on on how good life is going. Joy is based on how good our God is. That's where joy is found. You see, we can rejoice in those truths because we rejoice knowing that persecution may come and it may go, but our reward lies secure in heaven and it is better than anything that this world could offer. That's why we read in Matthew five eleven and 12, Jesus saying, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. We rejoice in Him. It's why we can read in Romans 5, 2-5 that we rejoice in the hope that we have in God that leads us through suffering. Why? Because we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. We have cause for joy today. Let us rejoice and let us be glad. Has 2020 been difficult? Yes, absolutely. Has it presented a pandemic? Yes, it has. Have we experienced grief? Have we experienced lasting pain, chronic pain, faced spiritual warfare, been reminded of the fragility and the brevity of life? Yes, absolutely we have. But in the midst of every moment and every day, we have cause for great joy. And I just want to remind you today that we celebrate the coming of the Savior, we celebrate the coming of Christ, the Lord. On that day, that was an announcement, a reveal of good news, of great joy. And it still is good news of great joy. We have so much to rejoice in church. Have joy in God. May we be a people who takes, takes great joy in Him today. Let's pray. Oh God, we... We come to you, God, and I, I confess that, God, I can, I can allow the trials of life, the, the cares of the world to weigh upon me in such a way that, that I lose sight sometimes, God, of the joy that is in you. God, I, I confess that to you, God. I'm sorry that, that, God, I can allow that to happen. God, we are a people who, God, we are weak. And so, God, I pray that that you would direct our gaze, direct our hearts to you, O Lord. That regardless of what happens, God, we would be reminded that the coming of Christ was a moment in which good news of great joy came to all people. God, I pray that because of that, God, that you would fill our hearts with joy today. So, God, whatever is going on in our lives, God, I pray that our joy would be in you. And that you would remind us of that this day, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.